the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. So today's text, we will be covering quite a bit of chapter 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, but for our, our public reading, we will read 2 Kings 23 and 3. When you're there, please stand. 2 Kings 23 and 3. This is King Josiah. And the king stood by the pillar that is in the temple and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant, you may be seated. So as usual, as we're working our way through Kings and Chronicles, because these stories are copied over in, or done as well in Chronicles, I'll give you a little bit of history, make sure we got it in view. With that, I'm asking you for next week to read Isaiah chapter 6 through 9-7. Okay, you're going to see some very familiar Christmas stuff in there, and you're going, in Isaiah? Yes. But I want you to know the context in which those passages were given. That is in this king's period of times, this kings and chronicles. We're actually past that point in time by here, but we will regress a bit back to King Ahaz as we look into that. So if you'll read it, it keeps me from having to, yeah, Isaiah chapter 6. And the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's how that starts. Okay? You will see, unto us a child is born, unto us a... And a virgin shall... All those are in there between there and 9-7. I don't want to have to take the time to go through all the history of it to put it in its fullest context. So if you would read it, if our listening audience and watching audience uh, would also read that and you'll be a little prepared for next week's Christmas message. But so as I have been doing in these, in these messages, give you, again, history, back up a little bit so we can get it in context, all right? Speak to you, for one, about some of the things we can learn here from Josiah, but I also am going to take a little bit of a theological sidetrack. I think it's important, on a given, especially on a Sunday morning, we have everybody here from the young to the old, I mean, young in the Lord, to very mature in the Lord, and some people do really good with smashed peas, 
Remember baby food? And that's okay because new believers have to start somewhere. But I have to get feed that and on a Sunday morning. I also have to feed the steak eaters. I'm sorry for talking about food on Sunday. All right. Now, I recognize our Wednesday night steak time. It's a steak thing on Wednesday night. Um, but on Sundays, I got to do that broad section because of the, the crowd. So I'll, I'll touch on the more practical sides of it. But I'll also touch on a theological thing that'll get a little deep, technical, I guess. But, but those of you that, that are eating the, the strained peas, hang in there. And those of you who want some steak, you'll, I'll get there too. Okay, if we can do that. So last week we ended with the passing of, of King Manasseh, who was a very wicked king. But after being taken into captivity and imprisoned for a while and released, repents, okay, and, and, and from it and does his best to live a godly life from that point on. But he has a son named Amen, A-M-O-N, not E-N, okay? By Christ's time, it has been corrupted a bit, by the way, it's said, to Gehenna. Does that strike a bell to anybody? It is the word that becomes synonymous with hell. There's a couple words in the New Testament, Gehenna and Hades, uh, that are translated Hell. Isaiah refers to this in chapter 66, uh, being outside the holy city where the dead bodies of the unbelieving shall lie and where the worm shall not die and the fire is not quenched. It is the place uh, we talked about a couple of weeks back when, when the Syrian Sennacherib, Sennacherib came to try to besiege Jerusalem and God sends an angel and kills 180,000 of them. Those dead bodies are thrown in this place. 180,000 bodies. It is an unclean place. Don't ask me what it even smelt like. Okay? And um, again, in Isaiah chapter 30, it's described this way. It's a fire pit that has been made deep and wide. And the breath of the Lord, like steam of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. Now, though that is allegorical, metaphorical, or symbolic language, but it begins to set the tone. That it begins to symbolize God's judgment. Wickedness that takes place there, the Assyrian bodies there, Isaiah's description of it. Jesus draws upon Isaiah and Jeremiah, these descriptions, and uses it in conjunction with the word Gehenna, that place outside the city. Okay? It is outside the holy city, and that's separate from, symbolizing separate from God. Uh, and he refers to it as a place, Jesus says, of eternal torment, a place of constant uncleanliness where the fire never ceases, where the worm never stops crawling. Matthew chapter 10, 28, Mark 9, 47 through 48. And it becomes, therefore, Jesus uses it synonymously, synonym in place of, a word you use in place of. Okay, we might, you know, we, our idioms or euphemisms passed away. We use that instead of some other one. But anyway, in Matthew 5, 18, 23, and James uses it, okay? It's also called the lake of fire and brimstone in Revelation 19, 20, several places in 20. The place where there is 
weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 8, Matthew 13, Matthew and 22 and 24 and 25 and Luke 13. I do that so you don't think I'm just pulling one scripture, you know, and basing this on, on one scripture. And, and the reason, it's also called the place of outer darkness, but the reason I bring this up, there have been people in, recent, in the recent decade or so has tried to say there is no place as hell because of the word Gehenna. Well, no, that was just this place outside. Whoa, 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 whoa. It was a real place outside there that be symbolized because of the child's sack. How much more wicked can you get than that? Planned Parenthood. Um, how much more wicked can you get than that? The wickedness of it. And Jesus himself uses this place where they know the history of, draws upon the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and talks about it when he tells the parables that these people are thrown out into outer darkness, the place of gnashing the teeth. And he's using the word, he uses the word Gehenna in there. Okay, so let me tell you, ask you this. We've, there's been movies out and books out about it. You know, somebody died and went to heaven and they give you some description. I hate to tell you, that description doesn't work because you can't describe heaven in human words. One of the words for heaven is what we get the word paradise, which means garden. So is heaven just a garden? Well, it also has streets of gold. Are they literal? They have mansions. Is that in the garden too? Those are images that are given to us in Scripture to understand what eternity will be. On one side, eternity for the righteous. On the other side, eternity for the wicked. Just because they use that allegorical or what's called analogical language. Okay. All language is analogical. You guys know what an analogy is, right? So I can say the word chair. How many of you are sitting in one? Is that the same chair I have where I sit in front of my TV? No, totally different. But the idea of a chair, that word is analogous of real chairs. So all language is analogical. So just because language is analogical does not make hell non-existent. I'm not going to mention the authors, some of them you would know, that try to attack the idea there is no eternal hell. Their problem is, and most of you probably, their problem is they don't understand the character and nature of God. Those same people will buy the fact that heaven is eternal, but not hell. Even though the same scriptures that talk about eternal punishment and eternal reward, the same scriptures use the same word eternal. God is eternal. An offense against eternal God takes on eternal nature. How severe should punishment be since it's against holy, holy eternal God? How, how extreme punishment matches the holiness of God? None. So I wanted to stop there and give you guys that history. Now, there is this. How many of you have heard this before, that there was the trash heap outside the city that burned all the time, and that was in Gehenna? Any of you ever hear that before? Yeah, I, I, I can't find that. Historically, scripturally, uh, the first time it shows up in the rabbinical writings in the 13th century, 80. Okay. And so I can't find it anyway in historical documents or in scripture itself. But this I can find right out of scripture, is this wicked, evil place where the wicked are tormented forever using Christ's own words, whether it's in the Gospels or in the book of Revelation. Okay, hell is a real place. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. So I, I took that commercial there since the scripture particularly says he did these sacrifices in these places. And what it tells us, too, that Josiah, by the way, comes along and purges that. 
cleanses that. What's interesting to me is, too, is, yes, Amon's father repented late in life, tried to change his ways, but what had the greatest influence upon his son's life is what he did in the early years. When, not his, but when his son was young, that's what his son reverted to instead of what he saw in dad later in life. Oh, the pressure's on dads with young children. But again, he, he is so wicked, his own servants kill him, a plot to kill him, and then they themselves are executed. So his son, Josiah, becomes king at the age of eight years old. Okay? So I want you to think about this. Today, we'd have to go to counseling for PTSD or whatever else. I'm not putting that down. For people who have had their dad murdered when they're eight years old. That's a traumatic experience. And the pressure of just doing the job. I wouldn't want the job as king or as president at 58 like I am now. Let's say eight. But the Bible does say that he was a king who followed after God. At 16 years old, this is in Chronicles 24 and 3, it says this. While he was still a youth, 16, it gives us how many years into his reign, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, I know his dad's not alive. I know his dad's not a godly man. But if you're 16 year old starting to seek after God, that's a pretty cool thing. Maybe it was the pressures of the job. Nothing has really changed that much from his dad's rule, his time of his dad's rule. But at 16, in the Jewish culture, 13, 12, 13, you become a man. We all know that as bar mitzvah. Okay, And so at this point, he would be considered a man and not just a boy. At this point, it's more likely when he's younger, he had a regent, somebody that was helping him rule. You know, probably advisors of his dad, which I really wouldn't have wanted. Okay, But then it tells us that by the age 20, he sets out to purge the land of all idolatry. Now watch this. No, he decides of his own to seek God at 16. Four years of seeking God, he says, I got to purge the land of this idolatry. And he does it with gusto. So for four years, he spends four years purging Judah of all idolatry. He tears down all the idols in the totem poles. I'm going to say that. Yeah, Asher were a wooden pole. Okay, carved image. He digs up the bones of the past priests of these wicked idols, the wicked priests, and burns their bones on the altars that they had made to Baal. Then he takes the idols and the ashram and the altars and has them ground down to powder. This boy is zealous about getting, you aren't going to be putting this back up. You can't even use the rocks that you use to build this. I'm going to grind that down to powder. And the Bible particularly tells us the type, the stone idols, the wood idols, the metal idols, they go through, which tells us there was a whole lot of idols. After he goes through this process, 24, two years later at 26, he sends Shaphan, one of the scribes, to the high priest, Hilkiah, and says, I want you to fix up the temple. We've gotten real idols. Now I want you to, to rebuild, restore that which has been 
demolished, tore down. Of course, if you go in and you tear down all the other idols that are in there, tear down the chariot stalls where the chariot and the horses were to, you know, to parade around for the sun god, all that, it does some damage as well. But while they're restoring this, okay, and what's interesting, it says he took the funds that the doorkeepers at the temple at the time was collecting. Well, let me ask you a question. Who were they bringing that money to? It wasn't God of heaven during his father's reign. And up to this. These are, this is the money collected for the pagan gods. And he takes that and tells it, gives it to the priest and says, Hilkiah, that you've got to use this. Give it to the workers. Trust them. Let them get the work done. And so as they begin this work, Hilkiah finds the book of the law. What does that tell you? All scholars, it's been 70 years since anybody's seen a Bible. No wonder the people fell so easily into idolatry when a king put up an idol because they didn't have the word of God. The Protestant Reformation. For about a thousand years, maybe even more than that, 1,500 years, the people didn't have the word of God, and we call that period the Dark Ages, by the way. Okay? But the scribe sees this, and, and he says, I'm, he takes it back to Josiah, reports that the work's getting in done, and then begins to read it to the king. He's 26 years old. He is so moved by the word of God in, in remorse that it's been gone for 70 years, he tears his clothes. Now, to us, that sounds odd, but you heard me talk, talk to the kids about it. It's, it's one of those signs of remorse, of sorrow over the fact that the people haven't had the word of God in their lives for 70 years. So he tells Hokai, says, I want you to do, you and the other priest guys, I want you to inquire of the Lord. Speak to God. What do we do since we've had this long period of time without the word? More than that, what's God going to do since we've had such a long period of time without the word? He says this in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 34 and 21. Go inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and Judah, that is the remnant, concerning the words of the book which has been found. For the wrath of the Lord, which has poured out on us is great, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to act in accordance with everything that was written in the book. Now, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but could I say the same thing for our nation? For the wrath of God is great, because we have neglected the word of God. Yeah, that'll get me in trouble. Well, the priests go and seek out this prophetess. Now, Jeremiah, by the way, is born at this time, but he's little. Nahum is around at this time. But they go to this prophetess, and she begins to give them a word to give back to the king. This is in 2 Chronicles 23 through 28. Behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on in its inhabitants. That's how you want a word of God to start, isn't it? All the curses written in the book, which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah. Now, if you remember, what is he talking about? Remember, when Israel makes its covenant with the Lord, you got it in Deuteronomy, all right, for one. If you obey the words written here, blessings. 
If you don't obey the words written here, a whole list of cursings. That's what she's talking about. Since they have abandoned me, wait I, I thought that it was the word that you were talking about. Anyway, and have burned incense to other gods so that they may provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. My wrath will be poured out on this place and it will not be quenched. But the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what I say to him. This is what the word, what the Lord God of Israel says. In regard to the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his word against this place and its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I have indeed heard you. Because you heard the word and responded to the word, I hear you. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, peace with him, with God. So your eyes will not see all the evil which I am bringing upon this place and its inhabitants. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna going after Israel, but because you heard the word and you responded to it in remorse and repentance, because you're not going to see it. You know what that means? Because of a guy who heard the word of God and responded, all the people around him were getting it. For the next about 10 years, 12 years, Israel, the people that did all these wicked things, they don't come under the judgment because of one man. Whoa. But he's not going to see it. What's his response to this word? Well, if you remember a couple kings ago, the same kind of word came. Oh, well, I'm glad it's not in my lifetime. I'm not worried about it. Is that, is that what Josiah does? Well, you know, at least I'm not going to say I can live happy then. <clears throat> nope. He gathers, and it says it this way. All the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. Hmm. And he gets all the people together and he, the king, reads the book. Not the priest. The king reads the book. Hmm. That's where we come to the text we opened with this morning. He's to the point now, and he is standing before the people. He reads the word of God to the people. That's where he says, at that pillar, he made a covenant with the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his heart, to perform the words of the covenant. And you'll see that. This is why he does Passover right away. That was one of the things you were supposed to perform, do, under that covenant that God made with Israel when they came out of Egypt. And all the people joined in the covenant. I also want you to understand, later here coming up, all right, when Judah falls into captivity, okay, these Israel... Corporately has also now renewed their covenant. 
So the judgment that comes just isn't because of some covenant he made with a particular generation way back here. But y'all have made a covenant too. So y'all just as accountable as they would have been back then when those blessings and cursings were done. Like I said, they celebrate Passover. And then it says this in 2 Chronicles 34 and 23. Throughout his lifetime, he did not turn from following the Lord God of his fathers. Oh, man, I'd like to be a that my epitaph. Historians and theologians alike argue that this was the greatest time of spiritual renewal in Israel's history. Because of a young man. But let me ask you a question. Didn't he hear the word of the Lord? Wait a minute, what? He is calling the people to spiritual awakening and revival. When he's heard the word of the Lord, they're not going to listen. In the end, ultimately, judgment's coming. God doesn't judge a righteous people, a group. Okay? What, what makes you want to preach to people who won't listen? Remember, Jeremiah is brought up in this context. He's living in this time. It comes towards the end, particularly of Josiah's life. And, Je and Jeremiah was told by God, I want you to preach to people who won't listen. Wow. Then what's the point? Right? Well, what's the point then? I, it's sort of like when God says to Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and tell people, Pharaoh, to let my people go. Oh, by the way, he ain't going to listen. He ain't going to do it. Um, excuse me, God, then why are you sending me? How do you keep doing right what God wants you to do when you know how the culture's going to respond to it, not just ultimately, but even just the way it is? We can all pick up the book and we you read the everybody read that last book? Or Daniel, we sort of know how it ends, doesn't it? And we have to be careful because everybody today, and I, I every generation does this. I mean, Paul did it himself. We are in the last day, like it's gonna happen in our lifetime. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Okay? But if you look at the degradation of culture, the wickedness that the Bible says, what's the point? I'll get to that. The problem was this. The scriptures had been neglected. That's always the problem. When the word of God is neglected, culture corrupts. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. 
Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.